Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast with your host, Ken Castroco. Please hit that follow button so that you will not miss another podcast episode. Every episode, we interview an ordinary but extraordinary person on their identity journey. An identity journey is your unique journey that you have taken in your life to get to where you are now. That journey is not only fascinating, but inspiring and encouraging to others. Because others can relate to your struggles and victories, which can give them hope and help them get unstuck. Ultimately, my goal is to empower people to not only understand, but truly embrace their true selves, unlocking their full potential and living a more authentic and fulfilling life. Knowing who you are can change the way you see the world and others around you. When you know who you are, you are powerful. Today, my guest is Holly Reed. I met Holly through a coaching certification program that we were both in. Sometimes you meet someone you like and relate to right away, and that was the case with Holly. I joined her Be Gritty Facebook group this past summer and got to see her passion for helping people in business and sport. There are a lot of words that describe Holly, but one that comes to mind is determination. You see it in everything she does. She also gets every drop out of life. Holly grew up in Coos Bay, Oregon and went to college at Portland State University where she ran track and received three business degrees. Holly has been a coach and a consultant for 20 years helping startup companies. And as a coach, Holly helps entrepreneurs and athletes achieve their goals with proven yet simple frameworks that get results. She's been a member of a coach advisory board with Business Made Simple, a guest speaker at multiple business summits and conferences, a motivational speaker for youth sports teams, a podcast host and guest, and is seen as a leader in the mental fitness space. She currently resides in Indiana with her husband and her two boys, where she is training to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials. Please help me welcome Holly Reed. Welcome, Holly. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good. Super excited to be here. And yeah, it's going to be super fun. Yeah. So how Holly and I met is really kind of um, crazy and, and fun. <laughs> and we met through Donald Miller's coaching coaching program, coaching what would certification. You call it? certification. Yeah. So Holly brought us through the certification and was our mentor and helped us do that. And it was a really amazing time um, in that. I learned so much during that time, Holly, um, about yeah. where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I don't, I'm not with the organization anymore, but um, it's, it will forever be something I will never forget. And it's helped me so much going forward. And I know awesome. that you've been a part of Donald Miller's team and doing what he does for a long, long time. You want to explain a little bit about that, what, what you've done with them? Yeah. So, well, I, so I was a certified guide for two years and then I was a certified coach for three years. I actually just this week left the program myself, but I was an onboarding coach. I, I did a lot of like free classes for people on productivity or different things. We did a happy hour on Friday just for fun, you know? So, right, right. So yeah, I kind of helped build the coaching program as one of the certified coaches, like, cause when the coaching program started, there wasn't like a whole lot of structure yet. And so I got to kind of put my voice in there, my fingerprint in there. I was on the coach advisory board for two of the three years. So as soon as they got one, they didn't have one the first year. So I was on it for two years. So yeah, I just ended my time with them as well. And it was an experience I'll never forget that also helped me figure out what I wanted to do and coach on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was a great experience. That's awesome. You know, you know without, without Donald Miller coaching me, I don't know if you saw that episode where he coached me. Yeah, yeah. Do you saw it? Yeah, oh. I remember. And I remember you coming back being like, oh my gosh, Yeah, <laughs> I learned so much. Without that, I would not be where I'm in today. I would not be in this seat and I wouldn't be talking to you. So it's a really oh, wow. amazing, really amazing turn of events in my life. So, yes. but you know, the reason why this, this podcast is, you know, it's really about identity and mm -hmm. it's about identity through people's stories and their personal identity journeys. And so that's why we're here today. It's to really find out about you. And I know it's going to be fun and interesting because <laughs> I, because you're a runner, you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're a different breed and, and, and uh, so it'll be fun. So I always tell people we're going to start at the beginning. And yes. so basically finding out your identity journey, where did it start? I always like to ask this question too. How far back do you remember? Oh my gosh. I remember 
Uh, I remember a lot. I have a really good memory, at least long-term, maybe not short-term so much, <laughs> but I have a really good long-term memory. So gosh, I can remember back to when I was like three or four. Really? Um, yeah. When we lived in Tennessee and we only lived there from when I was two to when I was four. So that's how I know it was those ages. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember my best friend, like from preschool. I remember wow. events that happened at preschool. I, I mean, I remember our house. I, I, I just remember. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. So what about that time being that young? What was probably what was one of the most uh, memorable experiences? Yeah, I mean. We, I remember going to Opryland. That was really exciting. And I remember sitting on the balcony of our hotel and listening to someone play the guitar, like just country music, you know, and just play the guitar. And we just sat out there. My brothers were asleep and it was, I think, with my parents and me. And, and I just listening to the music. Like, I remember that. Like, it was yesterday. Really? And yeah. And then, you know, my best friend, Jasmine, like, I remember her and then, like, I think I had my first kiss in preschool. Like, I think, like, this boy, Jared, I remember him. Like, and I was so sad when we moved. Like, we moved to California, and I tried to run away and get on a plane and go back. So whoa, I packed whoa, my whoa. bags and everything. Like, I did. At I what age? I was four. We were living in California. We were only there for a couple of months, and we moved to Oregon. But I packed my bags. I told my family I hated them all. And I walked out the door, and my... My mom's like, how are you going to get to the airport? I was like, I'll go to grandma and grandpa's because my grandparents lived in Sacramento and where we were. And she's like, okay. And like, let me like walk to the sidewalk. And then I was like, well, I'll wait till they come get me because I don't know where to go. <laughs> I was just like so determined. I was so mad. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure this has something to do with your future self. Oh, yeah. And oh, how yeah. determined you are. Yes, it's. I've been that way since I was born, my mom said. So. <laughs> That's incredible. So you're a little runaway. You were trying to get away, <laughs> go back. I've been a runner for a long time. <laughs> trying to get back to the boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys moved from Tennessee to, to California? Yeah, we moved to Sacramento for a couple of months. My dad's whole family lived and lives there. And then my dad got a job at a college in Coos Bay, Oregon. So then we moved there. So we weren't in California for very long. So I was in Oregon for pretty much the rest of my growing up years, but Coos Bay for part of it and then Portland for the rest of it, kind of half and half till I moved back to California in my 20s and was there nine years. And now I'm in Indiana. So, I mean, I'm just all over, back and forth, you wow. know, all over the place. Wow. So so where did you, you went to like preschool or I say preschool, but you went to grade school where? In Coos Bay. So yeah, I went Coos to a Bay. private school from kindergarten to fifth grade before we moved to Portland. And then I went to a public school for middle school and all of high school. Gotcha. And so what are what are some things that stand out from that time in in you know grade school? Oh, well, I did love to run. I was the fastest girl and me and like one other guy were the fastest in the class. So anytime we did PE, you know, like we were always the fast ones. <laughs> so, and I did like running camps and stuff like the Prefontaine because Prefontaine was born and grew up in Coos Bay. So everything around there was about Prefontaine, right? So you just kind of grow up hearing that name, knowing about him. So I did like pre track camps and stuff like that when I was seven. And like, I had like, I still have like all my blue ribbons from winning stuff. I was not good at the high jump though. I did get third place in that. <laughs> like, I'm short and I have no hops. So but I could run. <laughs> um, so I did that for a bit in grade school. Like that's the time I, I, when I look back at my life, like that was when life felt safe and perfect and normal, like, and happy. Like that was before I knew the evils of the world is what I would say. <laughs> and yeah, it was like this really interesting time that later come to find out was basically all a lie. But, it, but that's like, for me, it was this very stable, normal time in my life. And when you say safe and happy and everything, what, what would be the first thing that would come to your mind that would cause you to feel like that? Oh, I mean, you know, you have your parents and, siblings and your dogs and your cat and you know and it's just like you just live in this like kind of utopia of like you know you go to this school and you play sports and you know get good grades and, and you have all this promise and potential you know like I tested really high on all my like 
testing in private school and stuff like academically and we actually got letter grades back then they don't do that now for <laughs> elementary and i'm like what is this like i don't know what these other letters mean but we got like a through f right and so i had straight a's all through grade school and stuff like that so it was just that time where like this is how life is supposed to be you go to church like you know god was a massive part of my life ever since i can remember at four i wanted to move to china and be a missionary and adopt 100 kids that was like my life goal for most of my adolescence so i was inspired by a missionary called gladys aylward she was from england and went to china when women weren't really allowed to do that like mostly missionaries were men and then and you weren't allowed to talk about God in China either, but she like totally flipped a whole like city and it was during the war and like even the, basically the equivalent of like the mayor of the city, his last writing was like, we serve the God of Gladys Aylward. And she like took a hundred kids through the mountains to wow. save them. Like it was just like this inspiring story. So, so yeah, like, I mean, can you imagine like going through the mountains with a hundred children? Like it's insane, but she did it and she saved them all. So it's crazy. Yeah. So that was really inspiring. That was a big part of my childhood too. Like, I mean, God was such a massive part. So. Gotcha. And so yeah. in, in high school, what are some of your accomplishments in, you know, athletics and, you know, running and stuff? Yeah. So I quit track in middle school, like in eighth grade, they threw me in one distance event in seventh grade. And I was like jogging around the track. And like, I remember this other girl like crying and I was like, are you, okay? I kind of stopped and jogged slower with her. And I was like, are you okay? You know, like I just had like no clue what I was, I thought I was a sprinter. I was like, I'm just doing this for fun. They needed me in the event. And she was like crying and I'm like, I'm sorry, you know? And I just kept going. And like, I was like, didn't realize that I had a little bit of talent in this and, but I quit track and wanted to do basketball. And then that dream died. Cause I'm five foot three, you know? So, you know, so in high school, when I didn't make the basketball team, my PE teacher was a basketball coach. She felt really bad for me. So she brought in the cross country and track coach to recruit me. And I was like, I'm doing tennis. I'm not doing track. And like, cause I would, this is really hilarious, but it rains a lot in Oregon. Right. So we did PE inside a lot and I would challenge myself. How many laps around the gym could I run? Cause we had to run 20 minutes every PE day. And I would try and beat my record every time. And I'd just be like flying around the gym around like 25 kids in my class, you know, like seeing if I could beat my record. And so she's like, why didn't you like, why don't you run track? And I'm like, nah. So the, the head coach comes in and he watches me on the final day in January and we're running our 20 minute final. And I'm like running and my teacher stops me and she's like, Hey, Mr. Wells is here to see you after I was like, okay, I need to go. Like, I'm trying to break my record, you know? And like, <laughs> I was like irritated that she stopped me, right? And and so I'm running around the gym and he's just watching me. And I ran so hard that I almost threw up in the trash bin when I got done. I'm like, this is PE. Like, who pushes himself that hard in PE? I don't, I don't know. Like, whatever. I did. And so he like came up to me and was like, Hey, you should have ran cross country, you would have lettered. I'm like, I don't ski. Like I was thinking it was skiing. Like I literally didn't even know. I had no idea. Like this was a sport. Like I didn't know. I knew about track. I just didn't know about cross country. And he's like, no, no, that, that's not what I'm talking about. So he explained it to me. So I did track that year. I was the top JV. I wasn't on varsity yet, but I made the varsity team in cross country. I went from the, you know, one of the seventh, I think, in time trials for our team to third at the first race. And I like, oh, got wow. interviewed by the paper and I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, like and so my friend who's like very experienced runner comes over and like, is like, let me walk you through so they don't twist your words. And like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? So that coach, Lonnie Wells, he told me, he's like, you're going to win districts your senior year. And this is my sophomore year. And I did. I ended up, well, I got second in cross country first in the 3000 in the Mount Hood conference. And let me just tell you the Mount Hood conference. Galen Rupp was in my conference, like in my year, we're the same age. Like we grew up together. Like he was at a different high school. Alberto Salazar was his coach. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ryan Vale, who also runs for Brooks. Like he, we were all the same age. Like we were in the Mountain conference. Like 
Rudy Chapa's daughter, you know, she was a year younger than us, but she ran for Alberto at Central Catholic. So we're like all in the same, con- like these really high level people, right? Like that was my conference. So to win was a big deal, you know, and I got second to Rudy Chapa's daughter in cross country, but she pushed me. So whatever, <laughs> let's call it that. But she had, she had 800 meter legs. I did not. So she outkicked me, but yeah, so you know, I went to state my junior and senior year in cross. I went to state my senior year in track for the 3000. I didn't place. I actually did horribly at state every time, which was a bummer. But I got a D1 scholarship to Portland State University and not a full ride or anything, but a partial scholarship. So I ended up running for Portland State. Oh, wow. For a few years. Yeah. Okay. Right on. And did you, so did you end up graduating from Portland State? I did. I didn't run all four years. I had some interesting coaching and uh, I got hurt and he didn't believe me. And it was this whole thing. So my Lonnie Wells, my high school coach's daughter ended up coaching me my senior year in high school. She ran for university of Oregon. She was really good scholarship at university of Oregon. Wow. So she like kind of coached me a little bit during college, like after I got injured to try and get me back healthy. And then we just found out some interesting information about the coach and she had coached my college coach in college when she was at Western Oregon. And so there was just some interesting information and I just didn't feel comfortable being in that program anymore. So I ended up leaving the program and kind of got burnt out and took 10 years off. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So during, you know, some of the accomplishments in high school, Yeah. as far as the family, what did you guys do during that time to, I mean, I'm, you know, as far as, I mean, I know there was a lot of athletics, but yeah. what else did you guys do in Oregon for fun? Well, I will say like, I, I pretty much was on my own. Like, so when we moved to Portland, it's because my dad went to jail when I was 10. So that's where all of my, like, my life kind of blew up. We moved to Oregon. My mom was now a single mom of three kids. And so she had to find a job and she didn't have a college degree. Like, I mean, she like made her way. It was pretty amazing actually looking back at it. But at the time, there was no time for me. I was the youngest, two older brothers, that one wasn't doing great. The other one, he's only a couple of years older than me, and he was great. But there was just a lot of trauma going on, right? And mm-hmm. so we were kind of all on our own. <laughs> so, I mean, church was still a big part, though, my life, and God was a big part of my life. And so I just kind of got adopted into, like, I call my spiritual family, Mike and Libby, and they, they like, kind of adopted me when I was 12. and help raise me and I would go over to their house and do youth group with them they were my youth leaders and I would spend the night over there and like we would like play games and they had a little daughter who was like just born uh and now she's about to have her own kid she's like in her mid to late 20s and yeah so I did a lot of youth group stuff and then like I volunteered at kids camps and in the summer and I did a a program called Christian Youth in Action all summer with Child Evangelism Fellowship. So I would do like go teach five day clubs to kids. Like, so I did a lot of stuff to do with like church and evangelism and God and kids. And cause I still had that dream of going to China, you know, and uh-huh. getting a motor home and doing all this stuff with a hundred kids. So I was doing a lot of that and, and then running. And then I got a job my junior year of high school. So yeah, that was like, it was a lot on my own and raising myself and figuring that out and figuring out life and jobs and college and money and all of that. So it was, it was full on, but fun. Like, so when did your dad go to jail? When I was 10. When you were 10. Yeah. And so it really seems as though <laughs> that you power through a lot of things. <laughs> yes. So- to my detriment sometimes, but also, <laughs> yeah, I learned how to survive. Yeah. It's, it, it's very evident, right? I mean, you just powered through. What are, where did you learn that from? You know, or is it, I think, or is it something that's not learned? You just did it. Yeah. I don't know if it was a learned thing for me. I mean, maybe it was like, maybe if I talk more to my sports psychologist, we'll figure it out. But like, <laughs> I think that, you know, I had two older brothers, right? So to fit in or to like do things, like I just always was like, I'm going to do what you're going to do. And you can't tell me no. Like, I don't care that I'm a girl, like, you know, and I was very tomboyish, wanted to play all the sports, play basketball. I was like, I told God, if there's a WNBA by the time I am 12 and there's a team in Portland, I know that that is a sign that I am going to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so here's here's the ridiculous thing. The WNBA came out when I was 12. Portland got a team when, the next year when I was 13. Oh I was like, God. that is just wrong. God. Like, <laughs> I was like, so I knew that was over. But, you know, I was I, I love football. I love all the things, you know. And so part of it was just that, like, innate drive to achieve and to be and to prove myself. And and then I think when the trauma and it happened in our family, it was about survival. And it was about like my brothers and my mom were in way more trauma because they're the ones that got hurt and abused and not me. And so there was this clear separation of my dad was my hero. He was not the villain in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously I'm older now and all of that was somewhat of a lie. Right. But but to me, that was true. Right. And then he's the villain in their three lives. And so for me, it just became this like I there was a clear division. And so it was, okay, in order for me to survive through high school, like, I have to figure out how to take care of myself. I have to figure out, you know, how to get my needs met, how to, you know, do all this stuff when no one really had the time for me to help me with that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I can see how that definitely would shape you uh, post-college, getting through college. So during college, I mean, you you said you, you, you didn't run through your whole four years. No, I did. Gosh, what it ended up being like two and a half. I think it was two and a half. Mm -hmm. And I did well. Like I went from the worst recruit on the team to number one on the team in a year. Wow. So, you know, like by my sophomore year, I was the leader of the distance team. I, you know, and I was the top in our group at conference and, and all those things. And, and I was getting really fast and, and then I had a weird iron issue or something where all of a sudden I just couldn't run fast anymore. And then I got sick and that's kind of been my journey with running. I just get sick all the time, which is a bummer, but, but I did like, I, I, in every sport I did or every team I was on, I figured out if I was the slowest, I figured out how to be the fastest within a few months or a year. And I don't know if that's part of that survival technique or it's just like, I watch what other people do and I learn and I'm like, okay, just do what they do and, and believe in yourself and like, don't put limits on yourself, you know? Right. Right. Like, so, so yeah. Give me an example of, give me an example of how you would not put a limit on yourself. Yeah. So like even just going to college, right? Like I no one, my mom didn't go to college. Like my dad has master's degrees from, you know, really good universities, but my mom didn't go to college. My brothers didn't go to college. My brother that's the closest in age to me did do two years, but like he wanted to go in the police force. So he more went that route Mm -hmm. and he's still there today. He loves it. And that was totally his thing. And for me, it was like, I need to get myself out of this hole, like, and I need to go to college and educate myself, right? And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to get scholarships. I didn't know how to do any of that. But I had good coaches that walked me through a lot of this. They would take me to recruiting dinners and things like figuring out some of that or or they at meets, they would bring the coach to talk to me from the college, you know, and and they would walk me through that process. So like God always put really good people in my life to kind of father me and guide me i i lost one dad but i have like 50 now i've had all these and for different things in my life i always say that i actually got the best parts of all these dads around me wow like and so you know like i may have lost my dad and he he was the worst one of the worst people ever but i actually benefited from the best parts of all the men around me and so when I needed a dad to teach me business, I, my pastor did that, like, and helped guide me on what to major in in college, which was business instead of psychology. And like, you know, so I had all these people help with those things. And I navigated my way to getting scholarships and getting into college. And I worked my way through college too. So I wasn't like the scholarship athlete that had a full ride that could just run. I had to work and run. I managed two cold stones while being a D1 athlete, while being a full-time student in college. Like I had to do a lot of things to work. And I just didn't put a limit on myself because I was like, if I want to accomplish these things, I, I just have to do this. Like there was just wasn't a question of like, do I want to? It was like, no, I have to. And gotcha. then I also volunteered like full time at my church. So I ran like the youth program and the, or helped run the youth and the kids program and ran the outreach program. I mean, it was insane. Like it was insane. <laughs> You know, you sound, you, you sound just like a runner. Yeah. It's like, what more can we pile on? Like, I mean, that ended up costing me eventually, but 
you know, when you're young and you have energy, you just think you can do it all, right? Okay. And uh, and you can in that, those seasons, you know. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. You say it costs you. How did it cost you? Yeah. So here's like life event number two. Um, <laughs> so I I had met a guy in high school that my mom actually worked for his mom, and we went to the same church and da da. We ended up getting married when we were 20. He was a runner too. He was a walk-on a little bit at Portland State, and then he and then he didn't stay with the program. But we got married in our junior year, and at the end of our senior year, he cheated on me, and literally at a class, like it was his last class, and it was an overnight camp, like helping um, disabled people and or people with Down syndrome and things like that. Um, and I had done the camp the year before, and it was really inspiring and all that stuff. Anyway, he cheated on me there with a the counselor. And maybe too much detail, but whatever. So it's your story. (laughs) Yeah, it's my story. So anyway, so that blew up. And a part of that was I volunteered so much at my church. I mean, a lot. Right. And we had bought a home. We were trying to remodel it. Like we had just finished college. Like we had already graduated. He just had to get these two weeks of this capstone camp thing. And, And then we were like home free, you know, but we didn't quite make it there. So that's when everything, and I had so much favor. I had an article written about me in Outreach Magazine about how small churches help big cities. And I mean, I was like at the pinnacle of my church career, my, you know, I was, I was an executive at Target, at a store, whatever, working my way into the higher executive teams. You know, I just thought I had it all going for me. I was married. We had, we bought a house. We were 20 years old. You know, I was like, my future is bright. We just have to get through a couple more weeks and things can chill out. And, and it it chilled out in a very different way than I thought. (laughs) So yeah, I, I mean, and so that was another big blow, right? I, you know, came from this really broken family and here I'm making this beautiful life and it just blew up in my face. (laughs) So when that happened, how did you react? Where did that I mean, take you? Yeah, you'll find this hilarious, maybe, maybe concerning. But so I found out at one in the morning, my husband was acting really weird and he was all upset and wanted a divorce. I'm like, why? What's going on? And I finally got him to admit it like one in the morning and I called Mike and Libby, my spiritual parents, and they came and picked me up. I was in tears. My life just blew up. And the next day I was leading vacation Bible school at my church. Oh, wow. Within seven hours later, right? So I go and the first day I'm teaching about Gideon and how he's the least in all his family. The le- they're the least in the whole tribe. They're like, you know, he's in the wine press, you know, and I'm my pastor because he he found out, you know, and he's like watching me. How is she doing this right now? And I'm talking about the goodness of God and all of this stuff about you could be the in the worst of the worst places and the worst families and like. God can use you to do amazing things. And and I went five days through like that, teaching the kids. And I would go cry in the office while they were at their breakout thing and come back out. Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, it was a little insane. But that's that survival mentality that I carried. This is, which again, serves me well in some places and is not good in, you know, the long term, right? But that's how I got through things. I am here to serve. And yeah, I got this thing going on and whatever, but you know, I, I got through that and I remember going out and I was running a youth internship at the same time. And I, I remember during one of the breaks, I just went outside the church and sat down by a tree and I was reading my Bible and God was like, you can either choose, you have two routes to choose. One, you can be bitter and angry at me and your husband and all this stuff. And, you know, be sick your whole life and, you know, like die of heart attack, basically, right? Just carrying all that bitterness because that's what bitterness does, right? It destroys your body. And he's, or you can choose to trust me. We got one big blow up when I was 10, one in my 20. I'm like, you know, like, is this like an every decade? Thing? Like, what are we doing here? So, but I knew I was just these words that my children's pastor spoke over me as a kid was trust and obey. She wrote it in a Bible and that came back to me. And it was like the verse of like, God is going to guide me with his eye. And I'm like, okay, I can't see. (laughs) So I'm just going to keep my eyes on you. And like, you just got to guide me through this. Like, I don't know how to navigate through this. My pastors didn't know how to navigate through it. They'd never dealt with anything like that, you know? So it was just a big old mess and we were trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, but through that, I don't know, like I, just, I just look at the bright side of things, you know, and I just, okay, it's a new beginning. It's, you know, and there was a lot of devastation. I mean, it was not easy. Right. Those things are never easy, but 
I ended up moving to Redding, California, going to Bethel School of Ministry and doing all that. Started a running club there, like started to get back into who I was and like some of those things, you know, that I really cared about. It was fun because Ryan and Sarah Hall moved there the same year. So we were in school the same year. And so they came to my running club. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So I did that for a little bit. And yeah, I, I think that like running has always been there for me too. Like when I need yeah. it, you know, yeah. and it was there in high school. It was there you know, through that time. And I only stuck with it for a few months and I kept my, taking my 10, most of my 10 years off with these little like pockets. There's, I don't know, it's all shaped me, you know? Yeah. You're, and a lot of times what, what I like to say, or what I really see in people is if you really do start at the beginning Yeah. <laughs> and we, you know, there is that, I, I'm, and I don't really agree with the, the God, it gives you only what you can handle. I'm yeah. not, I'm not a big believer of that I'm a big believer in that. He, he is there for you to handle all the hard stuff. Oh, for sure. You know? And so yeah, I didn't think I could handle any of that and I couldn't, I like without him, I couldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, isn't that amazing? And so, yeah, when, when you take a look at just how you started your story, it's almost like, okay, she's, she's, she's able to handle what she probably doesn't know it, but she's obviously able to handle a lot of stuff, especially yeah your your drive and willingness to try to take a plane at four years old and go back home <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that really tells a lot so you obviously had this tremendously awful time with this broken marriage and everything what yeah. happened after that yeah so we ended up getting divorced we tried to work through it but it was just one of those things we got a cut this clean and maybe I'll go get healthy. You go get healthy. And maybe, and cause we were young, we we're like 24. We could maybe come back and circle back, you right, know, right, like, right. let's just go figure ourselves out, you know? And he came from a very broken home too. Right. So we're, that, that was not what either of us had intended on happening, you know? And so it was just, now we need to go figure ourselves out. And, and my way of doing that was going to Bible school at Bethel and, and getting healed up, you know, and finding myself again. And, and I remember meeting, talking with Sarah Hall one time and, I was just like, cause she had learned how to take the identity piece out of her performance and running. And I think for so long, that was the thing I attached my identity to was how well I was as a runner, like athlete of the month all the time in high school and like articles written about me in the newspaper and, you know, like D one athlete and all these things, you know? And when I didn't fulfill the goals I had in college, I was just kind of lost and kind of what's the word, like kind of like disenchanted, like just kind of like you know, like this didn't work out and now I don't know who I am. And, yeah. you know, so you lost your identity. Totally. Like, yeah. I mean, from the marriage, from the, you know, the running kind of ending badly to you, like just not quite getting to where I was trying to go at, mm -hmm. with anything, you know, it just kind of always fell yeah. apart right at the end. Well, if, if you were to use a word to describe how that feels or, you know, a sentence or whatever, what would you, what would you say that that sentence would be? when you lose yeah. a part of yourself? How would you sum that up? It's a hard question sometimes. That is a hard question. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is, is like, it feels like you're losing a part of yourself, but I feel like for me, it was a refinding of my true self. Interesting. And you know? And so what did that, what was that true self? Could you explain that? Yeah. So, I mean, I took 10 years off running, right. And then I lost my marriage and all this stuff kind of at around the same time, right. Within a year of each other. And so those were two big identity pieces for me. And I was kind of like, who am I, who do I want to be? Mm -hmm. You know, especially when I went down to ministry school and I was going to try out for the worship team because I played the piano and my pastor was like, my pastor there was like, I think you should just take a break, like from everything. Right. And I, and I didn't know how to do that. Obviously, like I know how to power through. That is my gifting. <laughs> like I can burn myself out on, you know, all fronts. But it was really about this time of rest. And so I was okay if I don't have the identity of being on the worship team and I don't have the identity of being a leader in the revival group and I don't have a, the identity of being a runner. And I don't, you know, like all this stuff started to get taken away because even the running group, I kind of ended in October because I had gotten sick with bronchitis and I, I just let everything go. And I was like, who am I? Who am I? I don't even know. I have no idea. I'm this 25 year old girl who powered her way through all the scripts that were written for her, you know, of 
go to high school, get a, uh, an athletic scholarship, go to college, graduate with, I had three majors, I was three business degrees, you know, you know, I was like, do all the things and then, and get married. And then you have kids, all this stuff. And all that ended. I, I don't have any scripts for this. You know, I'm not really sure what to do. <laughs> the scripts ran out. Like there is no manual. There is no more manual. Oh. I followed it to a T all the way through. And now what, okay. you know? So, I mean, part of me, I think, is still finding myself. You know, I'm 37 now, almost 38. But I came to peace with myself as far as breaking off shame of the divorce, breaking off shame of who my family was, you know, which that I broke off pretty easily because I didn't feel like that was anything to do with me or my fault. So that was easy. I'm like, you're an evil person. Okay. Like, (laughs) that has nothing to do with me. I was just born into this chaos, you know, whatever. Right. The divorce part was was harder because it was, you know, wasn't my fault, da, 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 you know, was I not good enough, all these things that you have to work through. And then breaking the shame off that and, and just being like, you know, at Bethel, honestly, identity is the whole first year of what they yeah. teach you about. Like, who, yeah. who you are isn't what you do. Right. It's, it's who God called you to be, who you just are. Like, you're just, who did God create you as? Um, just in and of yourself, not who did he create you or what did he create you to do? Like, that's secondary. Yes. You know? And so for me, it was just learning to love myself for just being me and not having to perform. Wow. And that is still a lesson I'm learning. I had, I'll fast forward a little bit, but I had an experience last weekend, a couple weekends ago, I was at Chicago Marathon. And I've been a part of a program that I can't like totally divulge, (laughs) but I've been a part of this program And there's a lot of us, you know, trying to reach big goals, like make the Olympic trials for the marathon. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in this program. Like it's totally going to happen. And, and I'm all the data says like, I'm fit enough and all these things like multiple times, but I just kept getting sick over the last two and a half years that I've been in this program. And, and I I was, well, I'm going to go to Chicago anyway. And I I took my son because I'm trying to teach him, like we cheer for people that get their dreams, even when we don't, you know, and because he's very competitive like me and uh, he has a hard time with that. And so I was like, you're going to watch mommy do it, you know? And so I went there and the first thing they say is you belong, regardless of what the outcome is in the race, or even if you're here and you're not racing, like you belong. And when I left that weekend and they embraced my son, like they just like totally took care of him. It was just awesome. And when I got done with the weekend and I came home and everyone's writing their thank yous and I'm just like, this is an experience that I think I've needed for 20 years. Wow. I belong just as much as the girl who ran 224 at Chicago in that program as, as she does, even though I couldn't even step on the start line that day. And haven't reached my goal or my potential in the last two years. I belong and I actually believe it. I belong. And, and I think for so long it was, I belong because I perform well. I I made it into this group because of my performances and then to be in the group and it not being about that at all. It was just, it's been transformative for me over the last two years. And I think like, I finally believe it now that the program is coming to an end. I finally believe it. And I'm like, yeah, I belong like, and, and on my shirt, like, I love this. It says you belong at this pace, you know, and it just reminds me, I belong at this pace. I belong in this group, whether or not I can ever hit it or perform. And, and I think that's a, a life lesson. If we can find that somewhere in our life where it's, hey, we belong regardless of how well or poorly we perform. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you just like answered many of the questions <laughs> yeah, I had today. I a lot. <laughs> That's it. We'll see you later. Wrapped it up really nicely. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. Now, uh, I do have a question, though. That the, the, yeah. the gal that was your friend at, at Bethel, yeah. she, you said that she had figured it out. Yeah. Was that what she, was that what she taught you, or is that what you 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 gleaned from her? What did she figure out about her identity and how how to separate it from her performance? Yeah, I think it's an ongoing journey. I I follow her on you know Instagram, and you know she's been trying to make the Olympics for a long time. Ryan Hall, her husband, obviously made the Olympics and was like the fastest guy in America to run the marathon, but it was Boston, so it didn't count or whatever. But you know he ran a two hundred four back in the day. You know, but she, I have watched her and the thing I've watched her about her is she's three years older than me 
and I've watched her break down barriers that other people have put on her. Mm-hmm. And, and she's very vocal about like her faith in God and the things that God has done and taught her. And I just watch her and I, I've gleaned from her from afar really. And she's back in Flagstaff now, but just seeing like how she lived her life and how Ryan lived his life. And I read Ryan's book, run the mile you're in really good one. And he talks a lot about that. And it's just this idea of your identity can't come from your performance because if it does, then your identity is up and down all the time. Cause you can't perform at a high level all the time. Like you just can't, Wow. you know, but if it comes from somewhere more solid, like for us, it's from God, like then it doesn't matter what's happening out here. Like we're okay. doesn't mean you're not disappointed or you don't have goals. Right. I mean, I still am trying to make the Olympic trials now. I'm like, Oh, great, great. Now I have to make them when I'm 40. That's fine. I can do that. You know, and, and the journey becomes worth it because you start to go, the goal is there, but really I just want to see what the limits are and, and try and push past them. Yeah. That's and that's where the excitement comes. Yeah. Right. So much, so much excitement in that. Yeah. Yeah. The possibilities, right? Yeah. And you don't know, like that's where it's this like unknown and that's the exciting curiosity piece of it. And I think that that's the piece that in life, whether we're running an ultra race or a marathon or whatever, starting a business, whatever we're doing, if we can stay curious that's where we stay in a place of less judgment of ourselves or those around us. We stay out of a place of jealousy. We stay out of imposter syndrome because one, if we feel like we belong and two, if we stay curious, I think that is the formula for fun and really finding and breaking your limits. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your life now. I mean, you're married Yeah. and you've got some amazing kids. So yeah. how did that all come about? How did you meet um, how did you meet your husband? Yeah, so I met Josh at um, the school at Bethel, and uh, we got married before our third year. And we stayed in Reading for nine years. We have two kids that were born there, Titus and Miles, and they're seven, and one just turned seven, and one's almost four. And we moved to Indiana right after Miles was born to be closer to Josh's family. My family is all spread out, so we're like, let's go do that. And yeah, so I picked running back up in 15 a little bit and then after I had Titus so in 2017 is really when my training started again so just six years ago and I've been chasing the Olympic trials ever since and and you know I've ran a 245 marathon like a a little over a year after having miles and that's still my PR so that was a couple years ago um but I'm still chasing I know I can run faster and I'm chasing those limits down nice and what does what does your husband do uh, yeah, he does like construction project management stuff. Okay. So, cool. yeah. And when I met you, you were you were in marketing. Yeah. So I still do like part-time marketing strategy for it's called Inbound Back Office. It's like a marketing agency for marketing agencies. So, I do a little bit of strategy for them, but mostly I run their podcast. And then I'm a a business coach/like really becoming more of a mental fitness coach for entrepreneurs and, and athletes. And my sweet spot is people like you and I, right? We are athlete, like, you know, weekend warriors, but also athletes during the week. And, and then we start a business and, and there's just so many parallels between running a marathon or an ultra and the things you go through and starting a business. So I'm up to doing that now and making kind of that sports psychology meets business strategy and, helping entrepreneurs through that, the mindset part of it. Yeah. And you just started, I mean, you just, you just started it this last summer, right? So I rebranded myself. Yeah. Back in February, I think I launched my new website and cause mostly I was doing like just straight kind of Donald Miller business coaching, but that wasn't, wasn't a really good fit for me. I think I was trying to be a square peg in a round hole and I was yeah, like, yeah, what is my It goes back to what is my identity? Like, who am I? What am I known for? And everyone kept telling me, we hire you for business, but then what we get from you is really the mindset stuff. And that's what transforms us. So I was like, well, maybe there's something there. So I restarted that and then just kind of had a big launch at the end of August and have a lot of really fun things coming up and helping, helping people just overcome like imposter syndrome and overwhelm and finding their limits and things like that. Yeah. So I'm a part of your tribe. I'm proud. Yes. I love having you a part of my tribe. It's super fun. 
Yeah, I love it. I really do. This last week, it was really interesting. This last week, I was traveling and doing some things, and it was just, it was hard to to stay into the groove because I was in the groove with you with you for so long. And so I'm like, oh, I got to catch up. And, <laughs> and but it's been really, really good. Now, why don't you let us know what the name of the business is, how they can yeah. get a hold of you. Totally. It's Grit Performance Coaching because being gritty is what I'm all about. So the group on Facebook, you're welcome to join. It's called, it's a free group. It's called the Be Gritty Group and it's Mastering uh, Mental Fitness is what we are talk about. And yeah, so you can go to my website, Grit Performance Coaching or gritpc.com. That's a little shorter and easier. But yeah, you can follow me, Facebook, Instagram, find me on LinkedIn, Coach Holly Reed, and you can join the group. That's awesome too. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. You've totally inspired me. Yeah. Diane and I have been and we look at it was just really fun to have her look at your 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 website and everything. It's really well done. You've done a great job. Thank I you. just want to let you know Thank that. You. I've got a, some other questions here and yeah. I, I think you know, there's been a lot of things you've already told me, but one of the things I love to ask people is, you know, reflecting on your own struggles and victories. Yeah. What coaching advice would you give somebody going through a tough time who doesn't maybe know their identity? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been there for one. If that's you going through that, you're not alone. I think that's a big piece is like, you know, I think that something that I, I've gone around the world honestly and preached about is moving from disappointment to hope. And how do you do that? Right. And I think that you have to hold on to hope, even when it's the tiniest shred or it doesn't even feel like it's there and you're grasping at straws because it does get better. It does. And you might be going through the deepest, darkest trenches, you know, even in a race, like if you're, you know, running an ultra race and you're getting delirious and you can't see which way's up and and you're like, I just want to quit this thing. Like I had a friend do a hundred miler last weekend and another friend of mine helped her literally walk through the last 25 miles. It was her first hundred miler ever. And she finished it. She wanted to quit so many times. And I think there's just this point you need to get around people that are going to walk the 25 miles with you at wow. the end. You know, you need to get around people that are going to pull you out of that hole, even when you don't feel like it, even when you want to sit down and just sit in there, which sometimes is good. But there's a point at which you have to have people around you. So finding someone, and I know that that can be hard, and sometimes you feel really alone. And when I did, I moved back to Coos Bay for a year after my divorce, and I would go to the beach and have this, what I, we call the moment of awe, right, where you just sit down and you, you gain some perspective. I sat at the ocean, I watched the waves roll in, and I listened to it, and I was alone. I felt very alone but God was there. And I, and just like, I'm like, the waves keep coming. There's power in that. It doesn't stay the same. The rocks don't stay the same. Things get, you know, polished and reformed. And, and there's just so much out there that's bigger than us and what we're going through. And so gain some perspective would be my second key to that. Like get people around you, Put yourself in a moment of awe, like go climb a mountain, go sit by the ocean, go watch a sunrise, do something to get yourself out of outside of yourself and see something bigger. Go lay and look at the stars like in a really remote place, you know, where you can actually see them and have that moment of awe for yourself and realize what you're going through is small and it is a fleeting moment, even though it feels massive and it'll last forever. It just won't. I love that. You know, I know you've heard, you've said a couple of names, but who are some of the people, maybe a couple of people that have really influenced you in your life journey? Oh, well, definitely my spiritual parents, Mike and Libby, like for sure. And, and my pastor, Bob Trombie from Oregon, like they really helped um, mold me in business and just, well, Bob in business. And then Mike and Libby just in spirituality and who I am and my identity and just being there for me, they were ones that pulled me out a lot. And then, and I had some friends don't care that did that during that really dark season. I moved in with them and they just took care of me. For, uh, I would come back to Portland on the weekends and they just took care of me every weekend for like a year and a half and helped me get down to Bethel and helped me set all that up. And like, they were just an integral part of my life. Um, but the people that inspire me kind of on a athletic level or, um, just kind of pushing your limits. Honestly, I look to people like Ryan and Sarah Hall, like Sarah Hall is still going after running and, and she turned 40 and 
just breaking limits. And Kira D'Amato, who's like a mom of two like me and, you know, broke the American record at 37. I'm like, okay. And then she broke the half American record at 38. I'm like, okay, this is great. There's still hope for me. And I think just finding those people and a girl that I met in Chicago, I was thinking, you know, my Olympic trial days are over and she has five kids. She's 41 years old. And she just had a five minute PR at Chicago and ran 239. And I'm okay. You're four years older than me. You have three more kids than I do, one of which was only like a year old. You just took five minutes off or five or six minutes off her PR, which basically we had the same PR time. And she ran a 239 at 41. I was I need to be quiet and just go out there and do stuff. And I think surrounding yourself with people, you can look at people like the Ryan and Sarah Halls of the world that maybe you don't have a lot of access to, Iliud Kipchoge, people like that that are breaking limits. Those are super inspiring. But also get yourself around people that are normal, like, you know, just like regular people. I mean, they're normal, but you know what I mean? Regular people that are doing extraordinary things. When Eileen like broke 240, I was like, thank you for doing that. Cause that just gave me hope back. Yes. And I think that's where you have to find yeah. your hope is find the people that are doing what you want to do in ways that you didn't think was possible. Yeah. That's so good. So I, I love to ask this question because I think it is in the, it lies in the eye of the beholder. And that is, what is your definition of success now? Because mm. I'm sure that's changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's had many iterations. You know, I talk a lot about this in my coaching, too, is like success. Is it your outcome goal or is it your process goal? Right. And I've had to learn over the last couple of years without when I wasn't able to actually go put a marathon together that at my best, like what, what was the point of all that hard work for two and a half years? Cause I still ran like, you know, 300 mile months for a long time, you know, just never stayed healthy until race day. But I was like, was it worth it? Was I successful over these last two years? And if I judge it by the outcome goal of making the Olympic trials, the answer would be no. But then that that would be a disservice to every lesson that I learned over the last two and a half years, including the one two weeks ago of learning probably the most important lesson in life is that I belong no matter what. And so for me, success has really become what are you consistently doing day in and day out to get better and and to you know get better in whatever area of life you're trying to be better at, but not even just getting better, but being thankful for what you do have and where you are at and the family that you're surrounded with and the things that are going on. Because I think if we always try to be better and we don't appreciate where we've been, we just think that we're still not good enough. Yeah. Where I like to tell people, take a minute while you're climbing that mountain of success, turn around and see how far you've come and the successes that you've already had. Yeah, that's really Because cool. the success comes on the journey and in the journey and you learn more about yourself in the failures and in the journey than you do when you arrive at the destination. And like, as an example of that, I was like, okay, so I had this great two year journey in this program and all these other experiences I got to have that if I would have quit after not making the trials in 2020, I never would have experienced. And even though I didn't make the final race, first of all, it's in Florida at noon. That's not going to be super fun. Like, I'm like <laughs> The only thing I didn't get is to get to that start line, say I made the Olympic trials and run that race. But the experiences that I had, like that only lasts two and a half hours, you know, that's not that long or a weekend. Even if you want to extend it through the whole weekend, that's not that long. And like the experience that I've had in the journey of seven years chasing this goal there is a lot of value in that time. And I think that success to me is, can I find the lessons I learned in the last seven years? Because to me, failure would be to say, well, I didn't hit the goal. So I, this whole thing was worthless. That would be a failure. Yeah, that's so good. So one of my last questions I have for you, and that is yeah. during a race, Yes. what is one of the most incredible things you've seen in your career in racing for myself yeah either for yourself or something you've witnessed oh man i mean i just watched the men's world record go down in chicago that was pretty amazing so I, yeah i've seen a lot of amazing things i've seen people come back from where it looked like they were just gonna like bow out to you know have an amazing days and like working through those 
lulls in in a race and that's what i love anything like the marathon i don't think you can find that in any race that's shorter than the marathon distance i think you can have glimpses of it but there's something about that marathon distance and above i ultras you guys are crazy i just cannot i cannot i don't have i'm like i can push through a lot of things that i'm not so sure so but i think like for me one of the whole place that be gritty came out of actually was in 2018 I was trying to make Olympic trials it was only my second marathon I know naivety but I think ignorance is bliss and I (laughs) wish I could go back to that ignorance quite honestly but I was set out to make the Olympic trials a lot went wrong but I was like whatever like just getting to the start a lot went wrong I couldn't warm up I couldn't go to the bathroom because the bus was late and all this stuff so I started with the pace group. You all know how bad that is. Oh, boy. I, I started with the pace group, and I'm like, we're just going to hang on as long as we can. And I hung on for nine miles, and I really had to go to the bathroom. And I ended up having, like, eight bathroom stops during that race. <sighs> so my Olympic trial dream was dying, you know? like. But my PR at that time, because I'd only ran one marathon, was 3.03. So I was like, anything I do at this point with the first nine miles at 6.15 pace is going to be a PR, right? So I was like as long as I don't like walk or quit. Right. right so I kept right. going, I hit the half at like 124, and I was like, okay, like I can still run in the two forties. Like, this is pretty cool. You know, um, I'd only had like one bathroom stop by that point, but like <laughs> then the rest ensued and it was awful. But I remember I caught up to my roommate at the time and she had made the Olympic trials three times and she had already made it for that round. And she's like, are you going to drop out? Like I'm going to drop out. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm going to PR. And and I had already, by the time I saw her, I'd stopped like three times. And once I hit mile 20, I had like five more stops. It was so bad. And I, and I was like, I was so mad. I was so angry that I was like, I'm finishing this stupid race and getting that stupid finisher medal that I hate because I hate finisher medals. And I was just like, I freaking earning that one, you know? And so like, I'm just running angry. It was so mad. I mean, I have to stop at the bathroom, like half a mile to the finish. It was, I was infuriated. And I crossed the line at two fifty five oh one, and my coach is there. Cause he's a finish line official. So I missed the cutoff by 10 minutes and one second. Cause all that time was spent in the bathroom. And, and I'm like, I had an eight and a half minute PR. Right. And I, my roommate came and found me and she's like, you finished. And I was like, hell yeah I did like (laughs) and she's like Holly you are gritty and it was like Uh, at that moment I like I held on to that and I was like I am and like I had to go in the bathroom and clean up it was awful (laughs) but you know it was one of those things but like it was just uh in that moment I was like I'm so glad I finished because most people wouldn't have and I found something inside of myself in that race that I was like, I can do hard things like, which I should have known for most of my life anyway. But like, you know, when it's your choice to do it and then your choice to keep going, that's a lot different than something happening to you and you having to push through it. Like I could have dropped out. I saw my family a few times. Like I could have dropped out, but I chose, like I paid for this race. I decided to go out to this dream. I'm going to finish this thing. And I think that was something that's still one of my proudest races, even though like it didn't end in the success I wanted. I told my coach, I was like, most people are a lot happier about breaking three hours, especially by like five minutes in their second marathon, but I'm not, <laughs> you know, <but> like <laughs> I didn't get that cool. Like, Oh my gosh, I broke three hours. It was like heartache and, you know, embarrassment, but, but I look back on it and that's the race I'm the most proud of. And that's where I really found myself. I yeah. think. That's incredible. That's an incredible story for your business. That's yeah. just so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to tell you that this has been such an amazing time with you. And yeah, it's been fun. You have, you just, I, I love listening to stories where people early on when they can remember way back when, and it really yeah. says so much about their future. When you're, when, yeah. obviously when you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. you can see it all, but yeah. Boy, I just can't thank you enough for being on the podcast and I cannot wait to, I can't wait to be on your podcast. Yes. I can't wait to have you on mine too. I'm, I'm very excited. So tell everyone when, what, you, what you're working on. Yeah. So I'm working on the Be Gritty podcast. So hoping that comes out in January. Don't steal the name, <laughs> but I, uh, 
I, for all those listeners out there. So I have it kind of formulating right now and I'm really, really excited. So just adding these different components to my business and kind of getting my story out there and hopefully it'll help people. Yeah. I'm sure I know. In fact, I'm, I know it will help people. I know yeah. it will. It, it's helped me. Your stories helped me. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank well, you. thank you so much for being on and you know yeah. what? I cannot wait. We're going to, I know in probably a year or two, we'll, we'll have some people back. Yeah. Um, if they'll come back. <laughs> Absolutely. I will always come back. This is super fun. Yeah. I, I feel so honored that you invited me on your podcast. So um, well, thank you for that. I'm blessed. You have a great day. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. This is the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. And until next time, I guess be gritty, right? Yeah, be gritty. <laughs> thank you, Holly, for your incredible story. I'm inspired by Holly's determination to learn and grow. I love how her relationship with God is woven throughout her story. Her realization that she had no idea what her identity was, especially after going through so much in her life, and how she was able to come to peace with herself is inspiring. She said that she started to understand that who you are isn't what you actually do. It's authentically who you are, who God made you to be. That is your identity. What you're here on earth to do is secondary. The coaching advice that she would give someone going through a tough time was priceless. She said, you need to get around people that are going to pull you out of the hole, even when you don't feel like it. Thank you, Holly, for your story of determination and grit. Check out Holly on all the social media platforms. Thank you for listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast with Ken Castrico. If you want more of this or want to learn more about my community, go to www.endurancelead.com. That's www.endurancelead.com. And make sure you hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening. And if you found this podcast inspiring, please leave a comment and share it with a friend. And oh, please rate it. Have a great day.